live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about the edge of the Milky Way. And, of course, taking listener questions about all things in this amazing universe. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can follow along online or leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about a socially distant tour of the solar system. But first, the news. Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all the crazy, amazing, beautiful, gorgeous, and wonderful things in the universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at Space Radio Show com to get yourself on the air. You can also catch the live stream following along with the Space Cadets tuning in live from around the world, including but not limited to Kempner, Texas, Pell City, Alabama, Athens, Greece, London, UK, Sao Paulo, Brazil, New Smyrna Beach, Florida, and Hutto, Texas. And oh, coming into the last second, the cosmic city of Chicago, Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, and Germany. We'll take questions that you send there too, because folks, I, I, I don't really prep a show. I just hit record and go. It's all up to you to make this thing happen. Before I start taking goals, I wanted to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently. And as you're pacing around inside of your house or apartment and getting really familiar with exactly how small it is, and if you're lucky enough to have a backyard, how small your backyard really is, you might be wondering just how big the Milky Way is, just how big is our galaxy. And you would think this would be something we would have figured out a long time ago, but no, we only figured out recently. Well, kind of, sort of, maybe. Here, here's the thing. It's not like there's a line or a boundary or a marker or some tape or something to say, okay, now you're inside the Milky Way and now you're outside the Milky Way. It's totally arbitrary. And there's stars everywhere and the stars, you start getting fewer and fewer and fewer stars. And so it's very vague. It's very subtle. There's definitely a point far away from our galaxy that you are definitely not inside the Milky Way galaxy. And there's definitely a point like right here where you are definitely inside the Milky Way galaxy. So we know that there is an inside and an outside, but where is the line? A group of researchers wrote a paper, and I love the title of this paper. I'm looking at it on my screen right now. It is called The Edge of the Galaxy, period. Just short, sweet, and to the point. So, of course, the news media picked it up because okay, I can understand this. This is a paper about the edge of the galaxy. But they're not interested in the edge of the galaxy of where the stars are because stars aren't the only component in a galaxy. Galaxies are made of much more than stars. They are also made of dark matter. Dark matter is the invisible form of matter that makes up most of the universe, but doesn't interact with light, so we can't, it doesn't glow, it doesn't obscure, it doesn't reflect or refract, it just exists, and it makes its presence known gravitationally 
but not directly. So these researchers ran a bunch of computer simulations of galaxies that kind of sort of look like the Milky Way. And from there, we're able to look at the simulations and define a sort of kind of definition of the edge of the Milky Way. And they gave it the diameter to be almost 2 million light years. So a radius of 1 million light years. Based on just the stars, if you were to just look at only the stars in the Milky Way, you would have a diameter of around 100,000 light years. But if you include the dark matter, our universe is, or sorry, our galaxy is really made of extends 10 times further than that. So when you see and this applies not just to the Milky Way, but galaxies that look like the Milky Way throughout the universe. So if you look at, say, the Andromeda galaxy through a telescope, you're just looking at the inner core. Only the inner core lights up with stars. The actual dark matter, which is by far the majority of the mass of that galaxy, extends to around 10 times further than that. So that's big. Our Milky Way galaxy is way bigger than we thought it was before. Yay! Is this the final definition? Of course not. Look for this news story again in six months or a year or two years from now, where astronomers have really finally, we pinky swear, figured out the edge of the galaxy. It's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. But that's astronomy. It's job security. That's the lace and grace. When it comes to space, it's time to have a conversation. We've got a voicemail ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by going to spaceradioshow.com. Hey, Greg, Greg, you are a very appropriate distance away from me right now, much greater than six feet, which I well and truly appreciate. From that distance, can you please play the tape? I was just watching a YouTube video about the particle accelerators, and just it got me thinking, and I know this isn't necessarily astrophysics, but if you can help me, that's awesome. Um, I have a feeling this might be kind of a rudimentary question, but um, so anyways, they're saying that when they collide the protons um, and the Large Hadron Collider, one of the issues with it is it, it causes so much other crap. Like there's a bunch of stuff flying everywhere and they're really trying to just look at one tiny little thing hitting another tiny little thing, like two quarks coming together. But the, the data they collect is all this other stuff flying everywhere. So it just got me thinking like, what is all this other stuff? You know, when they collide two protons isn't it just three quarks and you know what what else is there that's breaking apart and flying all over the place you know if you had like two cars hitting each other there's all these pieces parts all these tiny pieces it can turn into but isn't two quarks or just one proton and one proton isn't it just a, a group of quarks and that's it or is it like you know if you looked at quarks in a textbook or something there's a circle around it like a proton's a circle and then there's like three circles inside of it for the quarks is there a circle there what's that circle made out of or, or are they just kind of naked like what's causing all this other stuff to explode when they're colliding the particles i have a feeling it has to do with conservation of momentum but i could definitely use a professional's help so thank you Oh, this is a really fun question, Donnie. Thank you for asking. <laughs> your, your guys, I, I guess it has something to do with conservation momentum. 
trust me, that is always the physicist's answer. If you're like, wow, I don't know how to explain this phenomenon, but I bet it has something to do with the conservation of momentum. If you say that, I swear you will sound like the smartest person in the room every single time. And you know what? It's always true because all of physics is all about the conservation of momentum all the time. So, you know, it's always a win-win to just say, you know, I'm not sure, but I think it has something to do with the conservation of momentum. Here's the thing. You're talking about protons and you're talking about smashing protons together at high velocity and seeing what interesting things happen. If you look at a diagram of a photon, it looks like there's a circle that represents the proton and inside of it are three tinier particles that we call quarks. Every proton is made of three smaller particles called quarks. So you get quark, 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 they add together, boom, that makes a proton. And then you smash it together. Why is it so complicated? I've got three quarks over here, three quarks over there. They bump into each other. What's the big deal? But it's funny you mentioned car crashes because that's actually more what it's like when we smash two protons into each other. A proton is far more than just three quarks inside of it. The three quarks are held together with some with the strong nuclear force. And the strong nuclear force has a carrier. They're little tiny particles that carry the strong nuclear force. We call them gluons. The three quarks exist in a bath of gluons. And this bath is weird and wobbly and complex and high energy. So when you imagine a uh, proton, don't imagine a nice clean diagram with three little labels of little quarks. Think more like a cell, a living cell with a nucleus and cytoplasm and mitochondria and proteins and, and all sorts of wibbly wobbly gross looking stuff. Think more like a cell and then smashing one cell into another cell, it's going to be disgusting. When you smash a proton into another proton, it is disgusting. You are releasing tremendous amounts of energies in a non-trivial way. And when you have a lot of energy, you can create new particles depending on the energy and, and how it's constructed and, and where it's aimed. Once these protons smash into each other, they release a tremendous amount of energy. All the quarks interact in very complex ways, and we actually get to see jets and streams of brand new particles that weren't even there before, purely because of the energy of the collision. So in something like the Large Hadron Collider, where we are smashing together protons, it is a car crash every single time. And we are looking at the wreckage. We are looking at the pieces to see what these cars are made of and how they act. It's gruesome, but it probably has something to do with the conservation momentum. So that makes it physics. I'm Paul Sutter and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash PM Sutter. I know a lot of you are struggling out of work, low work, stressful, just not knowing what your financial situation is. Don't sweat it if you can't contribute. I am not going to hold it against you. I'll never hold it against you, but especially now. But I do want to thank all my Patreon contributors that are still stepping up and keeping all these shows alive. That's patreon.com slash Sutter to learn how you can keep this show going. And I'll see you after the break. 
Support for Space Radio on 90.5 WCBE comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got so many questions ready to go. I'm about to go on a, a nice long stretch of space cadet questions. They're buzzing with activity. They're probably going a little stir crazy and just just want an outlet, just want to get out there and say something and throw their question out into the void and see what happens. So let's start with Matthew DeFleury over on YouTube, space cadet asking, will we unravel the mystery of dark matter? I hope so. Oh, we've known dark matter has existed for a very long time, decades now. <sighs> we know dark matter is there. We know it exists. We know it's the simplest explanation for a variety of phenomenon throughout the universe. But we don't know what it's made of. We don't know what kind of particle it is. We know it's outside the standard model of physics. We know it's exotic, whatever it is. We know we've never encountered it before. As to exactly what it is, that is an ongoing problem. We are, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying to detect it with detectors scattered around the world. We're trying to make it in the Large Hadron Collider. Maybe when we have that car crash of the two protons, a little bit of dark matter pops out every once in a while. We haven't had any luck. It's a little bit frustrating, but we're going to keep going. Okay, we're going to keep trying to understand. We haven't ruled out any dark matter. Well, we've ruled out a lot of dark matter models, but we haven't ruled out all hypothetical dark matter particle candidates. There's still a lot out there. Will we figure it out? It'd be nice. All right, so we can at least make some sort of step or advance in our understanding of the universe. Right now, though, we're we're still searching. We're still searching. We're we're very very confident it exists. We just don't know exactly what it is. A question from Constellation Pegasus over on YouTube: That meteor made of metal that we are going to is it possible? Maybe a core from a planet. Uh, I don't know exactly which meteor you are talking about um but there are some asteroids out there that have very high metal concentrations like mostly metal instead of mostly rocks and we think this is just the normal mixture of asteroids asteroids are the things that tried to form to be a planet but couldn't quite muster up enough gravity and so they never got a chance. And so by I think by just random interactions, some are going to be a little bit rockier, some are going to be a little bit more metal, and that's okay. We're very curious in both types because by understanding what these asteroids look like, we can get a better picture of what our solar system formation was like. Question from Edward Hinton. Is dark matter the flowing blood and galaxies the cells of a universal organism? Dumb question, really? No, there's no dumb questions, Edward. Don't sweat it. It's a really fun question. I wouldn't quite use those analogies of blood and cells. Uh, dark matter simply exists. 
It's out there. It takes up most of the uh, matter in the universe. And where the dark matter concentration is high enough, that is where the normal matter pools together. That's where the gravity is strongest. And where the normal matter pools together enough, you get high enough densities that you can start forming stars. So the deep, deep, deep cores of dark matter concentrations in our universe light up with galaxies. Uh, the galaxies are little tracers, just little tracers, like if there are lights on the top of mountains. And the mountains themselves were too dark to see, but you could see the little lights. So choose whatever analogy you want. I wouldn't necessarily go with the blood and uh, cell and organism analogy. It's just cool and it's really, really dark out there and light is something precious. Question from Thunderduck. How can we even see the cosmic microwave background when it's the farthest thing away and moving away faster than anything else? So yeah, very cool question. The cosmic microwave background, in case you don't know, is the leftover light from the earliest moments of the universe. Not the earliest, early moments of the universe. It was emitted when our universe was 380,000 years old. That was over 13.8 billion years ago. And that light has filtered through the universe and is now hitting our instruments, hitting our detectors, and we get to be able to see it. Cosmic Microwave Background, or CMB for short. What Thunderduck is asking is, our universe is also expanding. And in an expanding universe, the farther away you are from something, the faster it's receding away from you. This cosmic microwave background is one of the furthest things possible. It is receding far, very quickly away from us. How can we even see it? The light we see as the cosmic microwave background isn't light that was emitted today. It's light that was emitted a long time ago when that piece of the universe was a lot closer to us. So that piece of the universe emitted some cosmic microwave background, some belched out some light. That light started traveling to us as it is wont to do. And meanwhile, that chunk of the universe recedes away from us. It moves away from us because our universe is expanding. Now, that chunk of the universe that emitted that light is 40 billion light years away. We don't know what's going on in that part of the universe right now today. All we know is that it's really, really far away and it's getting further. But the light it emitted a long time ago is just now reaching us. And this is what we call the cosmic microwave background. In fact, that chunk of the universe that emitted the cosmic microwave background is receding away from us greater than the speed of light. So we will never be able to access it. We'll never be able to go. The light we see at the cosmic microwave background in that part of the universe by now has grown up to be stars and galaxies and dark matter and it's all great and maybe there's even life there. We will never be able to go there because it is accelerating away from us faster than the speed of light. Whew. Question from Arnetta Davis on YouTube. Have you heard the premise that epidemics are related to solar maximums? Ooh, that's going to be tricky because, um, like there's a, we have this 11 year sunspot cycle. We're not even in a solar maximum right now. 
And when you have an 11 year cycle of something like sunspots, and then you have something completely, totally random like epidemics, you can find enough instances where the epidemics will line up on top of a solar maximum just because you have plenty of data to play with and you can find a fake correlation. But right now we're not in solar maximum and there's kind of a big epidemic happening. So I don't think there's a lot to that premise. Thank you for all these amazing questions, space cadets. We're almost out of time, but before we go, it is time for the blue shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is The Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. But I can't get close to you because of all this coronavirus social distancing flattening the curve, which I talked about at length last week and how important and necessary it is. By socially distancing, you're literally saving lives, okay? Period, end of sentence. You're doing a great job. I had some events scheduled in April where I had some workshops, some seminars, some just cool things where I was going to get to interact with you, with the public. Those have been transformed. At first, they were just canceled and I was bummed, but the organizations have come up with some very clever new ways to do this. On Friday, April 17th, I'll be live streaming from the Simons Foundation a webinar entitled The Socially Distant Tour of the Solar System. So I'm going to be sitting here in Spaceman Studios. I'm going to bring up some astronomy software. We are going to take a tour of the solar system. We're going to have a really good time. I'll show you some of the stars that are some of the constellations and planets that are visible from your backyard. And then I'm going to open it up for tons of time for Q&A. And there's also going to be trivia involved. That's going to be fun. I don't know how that's going to work. I guess I have to come up with some trivia questions, but we'll make it work. It'll be fun. It'll be fun for the whole family. It's a free event, of course, because it's a webinar, but you do have to register online so you get all the, the links. So so check it out. I'm going to have the link in the chat. It's going to be in the show notes on the website at spaceradioshow.com. So do it. That's going to be fun. And then a few days before that, on Tuesday, April 14th, I will also be live at 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh, by the way, this event, the Friday event is a family-friendly event. It's, I mean, everything I do is family-friendly, but it's meant for the whole family. It's going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday the 17th. On Tuesday the 14th at 8 p.m., you can join me to have a drink under the stars. And this is hosted by the Boston Museum of Science. We don't have a link up yet, but once we get it up there, it will. uh, I'll put a link. It's not quite active yet. I just wanted to give you a heads up. That is a drink under the stars. This is meant for not having the kids around. So put them to bed or put a movie on, then come up on a nice quiet place we're going to explore the night sky, we're, and then we're going to do tons of Q&A, and uh, some of you might have some cocktails. There's going to be a suggested cocktail recipe called the Active Galaxy that you'll get to drink, and it's just going to be a blast. So that is Tuesday, April 14th, and Friday, April 17th, live free webinars. Links for them go to spaceradioshow.com. And unfortunately... This broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Visit patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio 90.5 FM in Columbus for making this show possible. 
catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for all the links and all the juicy things you need. You can also follow along on all social channels. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Space Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission.